Hi there, you're listening to the Estranged Heart Podcast, and I'm your host, Creed Revere. Welcome back to our returning listeners, and if this is your first time here, thank you for selecting this podcast to listen to. As we begin today's episode, I invite you to grab a cup of coffee or tea, settle in, and listen with an open heart. But first, the regular disclaimer. I am not a licensed therapist or counselor. Nothing within this podcast should be considered or taken as therapy. If you are in need of therapeutic support, such as counseling, please seek out a therapist near you. This meeting is being recorded. So I went back through some of the questions that have come in for you, for us, and so many of them surround this this topic of kind of what we talked about last time in that how do I reach out to the kid if the kid has me blocked how do I show my child that I've made you know strides to change and do things differently and all of this and and that's quite frankly I mean I think that's it's a great question right I had some communication with my girls they had not completely cut me off so i was able as difficult as it was because it was pretty nasty there for a a bit of time but there was still an open door so what what is a parent to do when there is zero opening when they're all all doors have been shut, all avenues of communication have been closed, and a parent says, "I've I've been working on myself. I've done these changes. There's no way for me to let my kid know." What do we do? I'll tell you what I don't like about the question. Okay. Of like, how do I reach out to my kids when they've got me blocked or cut off or however you want it, whatever the individual situation is. Mm-hmm. What I don't like about it is that it assumes that the time is appropriate to reach out. Mm-hmm. While there certainly is a time to ask the question of what, how do I reach out? I think a better question that applies to absolutely everybody is what is my next step? What do I do now? The answer to those questions may be, you know, what is my next step? Well, my next step is to take personal improvement to the next level. Maybe, you know, what do I do now? Maybe I just need to sit tight and, you know, trust the situation. Um, Maybe the next step is to wait for my opening. Because, I mean, if you try to force an opening, I can't imagine things ending well. I mean... I, I don't want to say they're they're always going to blow up, but I, I think it's a safe bet that they probably will. Right. Then again, it's like, it, I, I would like to think that like there are these estranged parents that know their kids well enough to know that, okay, um, we haven't spoken in several years. They've made it clear they want no contact, but like I've done all kinds of work. I'm not going to react to their approach the same ways I used to. All I need is like an opportunity to engage them. They're not giving me the opportunity and like experience with them has taught me that if I don't push them, they're never going to jump. 
in these situations, maybe like a little bit of pressure isn't the worst thing. I mean, I, I may be completely off base here, but I mean, my, my logical brain tells me like, well, what are they going to do? Estrange you? Like right. <laughs> if, right. if you got nothing to lose and everything to gain, if you're desperate enough, if the situation is, if you've exhausted all the other options enough and you just absolutely have to do something, well, in that case, absolutely do something, I think. What, what would your answer be any different if there were a spouse involved, a, a third third party involved that may have influence? Well, absolutely it would. I mean, if there if there is somebody that can act as a, as a bridge, a mediator, however you want to look at it, that's like your single best resource is somebody who comfortably communicates with both of you. And I, and I think we've talked about this before. You know, if you're addressing like, a, say like your, your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, Uh And you can say, look, like my kid's not talking to me. I know there's a reason for this. Like I need to get that out of the way up front. There is a reason for this. There has to be. Right. But I can't figure out what that reason is. And I really want to, because I can't fix things with my kid until I know what the actual problem is specifically. I love my kid too much to work on the wrong thing. I want to work on the right thing. Can you please help me? You know, first of all, that insight is going to be valuable to you as a parent. Second of all, if you think for a second that your child's spouse isn't going to go straight back to them and say, hey, I talked to your mom, I talked to your dad, and I think they're sincere. Like, can you give this some thought? That way you got somebody who's working for the situation. Because I mean, I'm sure the spouse is tired of all this stuff, right? It's not Mm -hmm. easy on the spouse living with somebody who's got mommy issues, who's got daddy issues. Right. And I don't use those terms to, to be this dismissive, but I mean, like, I know what I put my ex-wife through, like through the years of estrangement with my mom, like it couldn't have been easy for her. She would ask simple questions like, you know, how are you doing today? Having no idea that I heard from like a friend that my mom was in the hospital and might die. And I was like, well, how the F do you think I'm doing today? My mom's almost dying, blah, 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 blah. How dare you? I mean, like I would just explode on the poor woman out of a place of hurt and emotion, you know? So I, I would imagine it's, it, it's similar for a lot of other married couples. So yeah, great, great question. Definitely, definitely, definitely seek out the, um, the, the, the daughter slash son-in-law if possible, or even a mutual friend, right? maybe a sibling that is still talking to you. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, um, that is talked about in the, the estranged parent world is about not involving siblings. Um, and, and I think that that, I think that there's, I think we tend to look at it in a very black and white situation. Mm-hmm. Involve them, don't involve them. When in reality, I think it's much more gray. As you mentioned before, maybe it's a, another child, they're the estranged child sibling, that can really connect with both the parent and the child, their sibling, right? And if that can be done, and that child understand you're not putting parameters and expectations and all these you know heavy things on this this middle middle person i think that it can be done well and i think that i don't see a, an issue or a problem with that 
I, but I tend to think that where we get into issues with this as a, as a parent is we then become to, we, we, we rely on that child, that middle child, that middle person too much Mm -hmm. in that. Did you talk to them yet? Have they said anything yet? Did, what did you go back and talk to them? <laughs> like, instead of just making it a one-time thing, Hey, if you have the opportunity to talk to your sister about what's happening between us, you know, I would, I would greatly appreciate that. And then leaving it be, leaving it be to do whatever that person feels like they need to do in the moment that they feel like it, it might be a good time to broach the subject with the sibling. Would you agree with that? Would you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, if you, you, you basically employ the services of the of the sibling right. without adding any unnecessary pressure, yeah, that's going to be beneficial to everybody involved. Um, what I would add to it is that you could even use this as an opportunity to strengthen your existing relationship with the child from whom you are not estranged and just say, look, you know, like your sister and I haven't spoken in however amount of time. I know there's reasons for that. I know you guys grew up in the same household. You got the same parent. I probably messed you up in the same ways. Like, I don't have the opportunity to sort things out with your sister. Like, is it all possible that like, you know, you and I can have a conversation, you know, make it clear that you're approachable, you're willing to not like necessarily answer for your crimes, but you're willing to right. hear them out and see what, what their version of the story was. And if you can engage in that sort of open dialogue, I mean, that, that was one of the things that was like really powerful for me with, with reconnecting with my mom is hearing from my sister about some of the conversations that, that she and my mother were having. And the picture that was painted was that of a mother who was changing and who was growing. Yeah. And while it, the, the, the process took several years, it did give me a chance to start preparing mentally for the day that might come where, you know, it, it may be worth hearing her out. Of, of course, right. I mean, both of us are experienced enough with, with this whole thing to realize that nothing is guaranteed in the world of estrangement. Correct. But um, I think there are, are ways that we can approach the situation to better our odds of reconciliation and productive conversations with like mutual contacts. I can't imagine anything more powerful if, if you're looking for an opportunity to, um, I don't want to say showcase like in a, self-promoting kind of way, but make it um, noticeable to the estranged child that, you know what, this person that you're avoiding, that's not me anymore. You're, right. you're running from a situation that no longer exists. I understand your need to run, but like, please come back. Like, we don't have to pick up where we left off. We can start fresh somewhere much, much better. Right. Right. This is, this is, a lot of what I do with my clients is helping them to understand what, what I call the ripple out effect <clears throat> that as they're working to learn and, and do self introspection and learning about what, how they got to where they're at. Right. And then how to practice 
no longer being that way is that it, it's not just you change only to serve this one estranged adult child. It's not that you're, you're change, the, the thing, the changes that you're making are for yourself. The changes that you're making are, will have a ripple out effect to all of your relationships. Mm-hmm. And this talks to the power of strengthening the relationship that you have with your non-estranged adult children, perhaps your own siblings, perhaps your own parents, things like that. Right. And this is, um, this is one of the struggles that I think um, moms can have is thinking, well, I can't make any changes until my, my kid comes back and that the things that need to change only affect this child. Hmm. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it's a case of like, <laughs> you you really do need to do the work one way or right. the other. Even if your child never talks to you again, that doesn't mean you're stuck. Um, you're not typecast as a, as a, as a ineffective or bad parent. Right. You do have the opportunity to, um, improve, reinvent yourself. I mean, and I, and I know that like one, one person doesn't replace another in, you know, especially like as a, as a parent who is estranged from a child. Like if I think again, like using the example of, of, of my mom, her and I have reconnected. Um, she hasn't seen my younger sister in almost nine years. She hasn't seen my brother since like literally 1994. Um, not, not easy for her. Right. But while she doesn't have the option of reconnecting with, with these two individuals right now, she has, obviously she's reconnected with me. She's done a lot of work to improve herself. And part of that improvement is that she's put herself into a position where she can be kind of like a mother figure to people who don't have a parent figure who desperately need it. And in that sense, mm-hmm. she's sort of this, this love that's got nowhere to go. She's got a place to sort of like redirect it. It takes some of the pressure off of her broken heart to know that, you know what? Um, my daughter-in-law looks at me, not as a mother-in-law, but as a mom, we, right. we connect on an emotional level. You know, there's one of the neighbors is, you know, appropriately aged to be, you know, <laughs> chronologically like one of my mother's children she's found that this is a person who's hurting who -hmm. needs support who needs a mom and she is a mom to this person and you know through talking to to her finding out that you know what like it's not that it doesn't still sting that her kids are separated from her it stings a heck of a lot less right now so I don't know I mean I, I've got no experience being an estranged mom. You do. I don't know if, mm-hmm. if this is the sort of thing that may be helpful to everybody or if this is unique to my mom, but just thought I'd put it out there anyways. No, I think that's, I think that, and I see that on occasion. I do see, see parents, um, particularly moms reaching out and, and I tend to see it more so with, um, grandparents so grandmothers who are not in in contact with grandchildren but due to an estrangement with an adult child and then they'll you know they have a co-worker or a neighbor who has kids and and they could become they become a surrogate grandparent for 
for those those children and it has the power to heal again there's still that loss there's still a loss of not having your child in your life or your grandchildren in your life but it as you said it kind of it it kind of puts a bomb on it a little bit so it doesn't it's not so raw and vulnerable this wound that is just you know it's not this gaping thing that is raw it, it it tends to to be able to have a little bit of a scab so to speak so and, and in the meantime you're you're doing positive wonderful things for society at large mm -hmm. because you're helping other people right instead of getting stuck in in this place of grief and never being able to come out of it um it really you know, my mom used to say, anytime you're depressed, go do something for someone else, right? That's the cure for depression, my mom, and now I recognize depression goes a little beyond that, but that was, my mom used to say that all the time, and it does lift your spirits when you're able to give and, and help support others at yeah, a time absolutely. when it's really difficult for you. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, I think that parents want so desperately to be in touch with their kids that they go overboard and a lot of times going overboard is perceived by the adult child as pressure and pushing and when when what they really want and are asking for is space and time away to be able to sort through their things and one of the things that I, I was actually in conversation the other day with someone about, you know, the fact is our kids, and I'm sure you can relate to this. I know I, I can as a formerly adult child, estranged adult child as well. When you're in your 30s and 40s, you've got a family, you, you're going to work, you've got a spouse, you're taking, like your day is consumed with life. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, and then when you're retired and you have all this time on your hands, well, all you can think about <laughs> are your kids, right? Like you've got all this time that you're like, wow, I could do this and I could do that. And maybe if I said, did this or I did, you know, all of these things that occupy the mind of the parent and they're not realizing the pressure they're adding to their adult child because of their own need to have something fulfilled and what have you. And I encourage my clients to get that need met somewhere else, right? If you're, if you've always looked to your kid for support for things, you need to look where else can you go for support, right? Those kinds of things. Again, we're talking about this ripple out effect. Estrangement has a ripple out effect. As we've talked before, it affects every person in the family to some degree or another when family members aren't talking how can it not have the same effect when you're doing the work and healing is going to have the same effect just in the opposite direction yeah i think too like if you got an opportunity to share your story with with somebody else you know, not like in a, in a belly aching necessarily kind of way, but just share right. from your experience. It, it hopefully invites other people to start like 
approaching this estrangement problem from a preventative maintenance kind of standpoint rather than okay how do i fix things now that they're on fire a case of like okay how do i realistically avoid this like check in with my kids who i think i've got a healthy relationship with and say hey like i was talking to susie down the street she hasn't talked to her kids in two years like are we good Mm, (laughs) is there anything we need to talk about right you know, I, I think with, not just with parents and kids, I think with like any relationship, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have these occasional check-ins and just say, look, like, is there something, anything we need to talk about? Agreed. You know, like my, my one brother used to like with his, with his wife, he'd schedule one day of the, a month where nobody's allowed to react. It's a case of we're going to like, basically like express beef, everything that's happened over the, the course of the last 30 days, we need to put it on the table. And instead of arguing and making excuses for ourselves, we're going to accept each other's words and we're going to then have a rational discussion over what needs to be addressed, either collectively or individually. And while I find that particular approach a little bit too direct for my, my taste, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think some version of that isn't a terrible thing where, you, you know, you set aside some amount of time to say, look, like, Every relationship has problems. I mean, this is guaranteed. Yep. Which are our problems and how mm-hmm. do we start to address them? Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you, let, I love that. I think, oh my gosh, I just think about my own relationships um, and how amazing it would be to be able, I mean, I, I do have relationships that are like that, that can address, hey, are we good? You know, kind of thing. And I also have relationships that, I, that that can't be done. And I know which relationships I enjoy being in mm-hmm. are the ones that I can talk about the hard stuff with. Right. That kind of thing. Um, but that brings me around to this, the, the whole, uh, and this has come up multiple times over the last week or so with my work um, is conflict resolution that this is something that um, we're not taught. I wasn't taught anything about healthy conflict resolution. Um, And what I was taught was basically estrangement. You don't like it. You don't like what someone says, off you go, right? And relationships have ended over, over the years because of that. And so how do we find our way back once, once there's, you know, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm addressing not necessarily parents and adult children here, but siblings who have, so that there's not like this complete power differential kind of thing that we have with parents and kids, but other relationships that are on equal ground, how, how do we, how do we come back from that? How do we I think one of resolve? the most powerful steps that I learned to take was to stop trying to win the conversation. Mm, say that again. Like I had to learn to stop trying to win the conversation. Yes. And like, I've, I've said it many times before on various podcasts over the years, and I probably catch a lot of heat for this. I'm really not a fan of Dr. Phil. I don't like his drive-through style of, 
counseling people, but once in a while he says something that really, really resonates and something that he had said years ago that just stuck with me mm-hmm. is that it doesn't matter who's right. It matters what's right. Mm. And when we stop trying to win the conversation, then we are, we put ourselves in a position where we can focus on what's right. Mm. And you don't even need both parties in, in the conversation to have this, this mindset, right? Like if you and I have a disagreement, we can both be pigheaded and both be determined to like have the final word mm-hmm. or I can remain pigheaded and you can say, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to objectively look at what's right. And if it turns out that your pigheaded perspective is the correct one, I will concede. Right. You have now single-handedly diffused 90% of, of the volatility in this conversation. And it allows both of us to move on, even though I've done no work. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. Do I love that? And I see, I, I see that in, well, I mean, I don't know that there's ever really, well, I'm trying to think off the top of my head conflicts that that's not, at play the majority of the time with I'm right, you're wrong. And here we are. And no one's willing to do anything any different. And it requires someone I talk up and say, so it, it takes someone stepping out of the dance to change it. You have mm-hmm. to, right? I mean, if the two of you are, are doing the same thing over and over and over again, it's a definition of insanity, expecting different results. It's not going to happen. Somebody has to stop it. And if you're waiting on the other person to do it, it's likely not going to happen. No, and another valuable exercise that I picked up in, in therapy, so I, I can't take credit for this. I'll have to thank my therapist, Nicole, for this, <laughs> is when you've got two people that are dealing, that you're trying to discuss or you're trying to approach the same situation, but you're seeing things very differently. I mean, each party really digs in because it's like, I know what I saw. I know what I am actively looking at, but the other person is saying the same thing. Like, where do you go from there? And she said, you know, I I like to encourage people to literally hold up their hand in between them and the person that they're talking to. Mm-hmm. Now you imagine that this hand is, is the, the situation. This hand is the conflict. Now, if I ask you to describe exactly what you're seeing on my hand, yeah. it's going to be different than what I'm seeing. Like I'm seeing like the top side of my knuckles. I see fingernails. I see a certain skin color. You're right. seeing none of those things, but we're looking at the same hand. Right. And if, if we know that every situation is like that, it's like, holy crap, like you're not wrong just because like I'm right we can both be right we're just seeing Mm -hmm. different stuff now can we put it together and like we're we're both obviously interested in resolving it or we wouldn't be having this argument I Mm -hmm. mean that much is clear you know we love each other enough to hate each other right now right right let's just use that productively oh that is that is such a descriptive way of looking at it. I mean, really and truly. Um, I love that. Thank you, Nicole. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, it, it really is. That's 
phenomenal. That's really, really great. Um, yes. Again, we come back to the, everyone has a, this different perspective, but our perspectives are our real, reality. My reality is I didn't see fingernails when you held up that hand, right? Mm -hmm. You did, but here it is the hand. It's the truth of the situation. So, um, oh my gosh, I just love that. <laughs> I just really love that. Um, where do you think that, it, where do you think the stubbornness comes from? I think it starts for all of us at a very young age. We're taught that being wrong is somehow bad. Mm. There's no good feelings attached to it. I actually, I watched a Ted talk on this like a few years ago and somebody explained like why being wrong should actually be celebrated. It's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately that's not what we were taught. It's not what we teach our kids. It's not what we experience with each other. And I've noticed that like over the last few years, since I've learned to look at being wrong as an indication that I had an opportunity to learn, I've started like being a little less territorial. Like if somebody else happens to be right, I will just drop what I have, what, what I've been fueled by up until that moment. It's like, thank you for pointing that out. I've learned something today. And like, mm -hmm. I'm not like, I'm not saying it like in a condescending or joking kind of way it's like literally i am sincerely happy that i was wrong because now i don't have to be wrong in this way next time <laughs> right right <clears throat> so i mean back to your question i mean like i i think that's why um we get a little bit too territorial with our points of view sometimes but i think all of us as individuals like we have an opportunity to like start appreciating the opportunities to be wrong for ourselves when somebody else is wrong, maybe skip past the, I told you so, and just encourage okay. the other person and say, you know what? Don't feel bad. Like I'm wrong about a lot of stuff too. I was wrong yesterday. I'll probably be wrong later today. I'll definitely be wrong about something tomorrow. Like it happens to everyone. It's mm -hmm. nothing to beat yourself up over. And I think it's like, awesome that like you allowed yourself to be corrected like that is so cool yeah yeah um i think you're exactly spot on when you're saying that i mean as a child we are taught you know the last thing i i i certainly remember in school haven't i mean i never spoke up and said anything out of the fear of being wrong mm. right so what did that fuel <laughs> years and decades of i'm right damn it <laughs> you're wrong um because i didn't want to look look like a jerk i didn't want to act you know look like i didn't know what i was talking about i didn't all of these things and when i learned for me when i learned to to be curious about others and that curiosity for me started with just simple human behavior wonder why they're doing what they're doing like what what, what what's going on to make them think this that or the other thing and i think that curiosity piece has to come into play here mm -hmm. if you're not curious there's not a reason to entertain anything else there i mean why if you believe what you believe 
and you're not curious about what the other person might be thinking, seeing, feeling, experiencing, well, then what is, what is, I'm right, you're wrong, and here we are. There we are. Got to be no, curious. I, I think I think back on like when I was in my 20s, I was a well, typical guy in his 20s. I pig-headed, <laughs> knew absolutely everything. And my dad at the time, you know, he was trying to help me through a, a, like my, one of my relationships. I don't know if it was my fiance or my wife at this time, but I just didn't understand why she had to be this way with me all the time. Mm. You know, just, just being a capital B all the time. Right. Right. And he said, you know what? The problem isn't your wife. And, um, I'm like, well, how could you say that? He says, no, no. He says, you're my son. I know you very well. And he says, and here's what I see. I see somebody who can't learn anything because he's too busy knowing everything. And until you stop knowing everything, you're going to be stuck in these destructive cycles endlessly. Change it. Mm. That's profound. That is profound. There is nothing. He's pretty wise for a dead guy, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Your dad has some, has some wisdom for sure. I mean, right. What, what, if you know it all, there's nothing to learn. And, and yeah, like not... that curiosity you're talking about, I mean, how much more of a sincere expression of love could you have for another person than to say, you know what, I care about your details. Right. You know, basically it's like your, your, your call is important to us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. And I think that that's, um, well, let me ask you this, because uh, actually this question came up for me very recently by a parent who said, it seems like my, my child doesn't want me to ask any questions about their life. Okay. I have heard this question <laughs> before too, and I have heard it for like a variety of different relationships. And you know what the answer from the other side invariably ends up being? What's that? I don't feel like so-and-so is asking questions. I feel like so-and-so is conducting an interrogation. Mm. Like what kind of questions are you asking? What kind of tone are you putting behind them? And it's not necessarily that your intent is to make somebody feel like they've got a bright light shone on their face and you're saying, okay, tell me. But if that's how you're coming across, I mean, that's something you have to consider. Communication, it's, it's, it's not just like what your intent is or what your chosen tone is or how you form your sentences. It's also how all of these things are being received. Mm-hmm. And if they're not being received in the way that you intended them to be sent, communication is not effective. I'm sorry. So um, I, I would, I would suggest like anybody who's got any kind of problem, if it's all possible, if, if it like w- with this particular example that they don't seem to like it when I'm asking questions, why not just like ask them straight? Like, look, I, I don't mean to put any pressure on, but it seems like you, you kind of cringe whenever I start asking you questions. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. And then just shut up and listen to the answer. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that was my, that was my response to the person was, 
there's a difference in asking questions and, and interrogating. And people who, um, speaking as a former police officer, when you are interrogating people, they don't take kindly to it. Well, <laughs> they they just, start feeling guilty no. when they've done nothing wrong. Exactly, exactly. Um, and they want to run and hide and put up walls and all the things that are, are absolutely not productive in opening a dialogue with someone. So um, it is all in how you approach approach the person. Um, and tone is so much. <laughs> um, and I think that that's what we miss with text and email communication, right? We're not hearing tone, mm -hmm. we're not getting all of this. And so things can be misconstrued and and the assumptions, you know, well, I know my kid and I know when they say this, they, they mean it this way. And I'm always like, mm, maybe they meant it like that when they were 12, but they're, you know, 32 now, maybe, maybe there's, they've grown and there's a difference in how they're, you know, how they perceive things. So this assumption again, coming from the, well, this is the way that I've always been. So certainly it's the way this, this other person, they've always been this way and, they can't make changes. So it's kind of flipping the, flipping the coin. What about the kid who has made changes and parents just have this assumption that they haven't done any work. They haven't done anything, any different. And that they're still the same quote unquote bratty kid. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, that's something that's, that's worth thinking about actually too. It's like, again, drawing from my own personal experience, it's like my, my mom and I, I think we, we did get to a point where we probably were avoiding each other. It wasn't just a case of me avoiding her. Mm -hmm. She had her own anxieties too, about like what she knew to be true about me, but these things that we knew to be true about each other, they, they no longer applied. Mm. We were avoiding people who no longer existed. And, um, you know, like I, I had a close friend ask me once, she says, you know, like, I've, this is somebody who was also in contact with my mom. It said like, you know, your, your mom isn't, she doesn't have that edge that she used to have. Mm -hmm. And you also have gone through so many changes. You're not like, you don't have so many like jagged edges is the way she put it. Cause I, mm -hmm. I, I was like quite an abrasive person in my youth. I, I can't hide from that. And um, she says like, have you, have you considered like, taking this updated version of you and using it to reconnect with your mom. And I said, you know, like, I, I really think that a lot of these changes I've gone through, they're only possible because she's not there. I worry about like, how would it affect me going back in? Mm. And I, I wonder too, like if a lot of these parents and estranged adult children alike, maybe are not super excited about the thought of reconnecting just because of not knowing how it's going to affect what they've established for themselves. Maybe for the adult child, um, like you, you, you mentioned before, they got work, they got kids relationship, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Maybe they don't want to taint any of these important full-time things with an uglier version of self. Maybe mm -hmm. they're deathly afraid of what reconnecting with mom and or dad represents you know I, I would imagine it's the same with the parents maybe i would imagine it's actually probably even worse for the parents because in addition to all these fears and anxieties you're stuck with that 
driving instinctual force that tells you you have to be connected to your kids mm-hmm. and <laughs> that would almost feel like you know a, a moth that's drawn to a flame in a sense right right yeah yeah you're exactly right and you know that's that's actually something that i while i don't know that i've ever put it i don't know that i've ever thought of it and maybe maybe it's just that i haven't thought of it in from that perspective in that way um I do, I have been in touch with um, estranged adult children who say, you know, my life is peaceful now. I have peace in my life. And I know, quote unquote, I know if I reconnect with my mom or, or my dad that, that that peace is not going to happen anymore. Um, it's not still going to be present. There will be chaos and, and discord that comes with that contact. Um, so that, you know, that's another, that's another perspective that I hear. Um, is that something that ever crossed your mind with your mom? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that, not just with my, my mom, but in the past, but currently with, with my younger sister with whom I, I used to be very, very close. I, I love her as much as I could possibly love another human being it hurts so much that I haven't spoken to her in like eight, nine years now. That being said, I don't want a relationship with her. If she is the type of person that I last knew her to be Mm -hmm. because inviting that kind of super, super toxic influence into my life would absolutely shatter the little bit of peace I've got. Like I often describe my, my mental state. It, it's a, it's a delicate house of cards. It really is like on the surface. I, I seem like I'm, I'm more or less together. I'm a fairly calm, even tempered person. You know, I, I, I've developed this way of being that's like introspective, philosophical, whatever. I like to increase the peace for everybody that I interact with. Mm-hmm. That being said, the slightest little draft in my room and this whole del- delicate house of cards comes crashing mm-hmm. down and then I'm stuck like, I don't know. It's like I, I start feeling frantic, rudderless, like a, like a wounded animal. And in, mm-hmm. in fear that I'm going to lash out, I tend to isolate when something disruptive happens because I don't want to be a toxic influence. Um. But because I, I know this about myself, I think that I do have a tendency to maybe shy away a little bit too much from what I perceive to be scary or dangerous influences. Right. So again, I mean, if my personal experience is any indication, I would imagine there's probably a lot of people that are approaching family and friend situations in in the same way where it's like you know what it might be okay but it might not and Mm -hmm. like i can live without the situation with it without the uh relationship i don't know if i can live with it so i'm going to stick with the devil i know and the devil i know is living without mom yeah 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 and i i mean let's let's just be honest i mean there are a lot of parents who um, and, and there's a number of children who have not quote unquote done their work around these things and remain the same people they've always been. 
And so it is a risk and it is a gamble. But I, I found personally from my own experience, when I did my work for myself, figured out who the hell I was and how I became the person I became and understood all that brought that, that came with that and got to the other side i was more willing to take risk feeling more capable with remaining centered because of of the work that i had done um, not to say I'm, I am certainly not perfect. And there are times when I still get sideways with things. Um, there are lots of times that I get sideways with things. But I find myself being a little more open to taking risk, especially if there's been some time that has gone by and there really is an unknown, right? Like there's been, so, and this is a topic for another time, but I am currently in an estrangement with my best friend and it's gone on for two years now. And I was so unbelievably hurt for the first year and she kept reaching out and reaching out. And I was just the, I was devastated by what happened between the two of us that I was not willing to be vulnerable enough to step back into it. It hurt way too bad. And now I'm two years this month, actually, the month of June um, is two years. And so two years outside of this, I've been thinking, you know, I think I'm ready to, to stick my neck out again, to kind of put myself out there to see, test the waters to see what's gonna happen, right? Um, but I, it took, it took time to get there. And this was my best friend. This is a best friend of mine for over 20 years. Mm. Right. So again, maybe a conversation for another time, but you know, it takes strength and courage and a crap ton of vulnerability to be able to put yourself out there again, to risk being hurt. And not everybody is able to do that. Not everyone has a support system in place to be able to do that. Not everyone has the knowledge and the wherewithal and know how, how to do that. And so estrangement can go on and on and on and on, unfortunately. And this is, I think, a large part of why I do the work that I do. And I think for you, maybe, you doing what you do to help the estrangement community as well is helping to repair relationships and to bring people together and to heal instead of having, having all of these rifts and broken hearts running around everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't like to put pressure on people, mm-hmm. but when it comes to estrangement between parents and kids, not that long ago, I was really feeling like the pressure should and is all on like the parents to like chase the kid. But I don't know, the, the more you and I talk and the more 
you know, you share feedback that you get from the people that are listening to our conversations or that you're interacting with, the more I'm realizing that the pressure maybe should be a little bit more on the adult children, just because, I mean, when when I say the pressure should be on them, the pressure to actually like initiate a conversation, initiate negotiations, if nothing else, the pressure is always on everybody to self-improve. Yes. To take inventory, to prepare Mm -hmm. intellectually, emotionally for that day when the connection might happen. But I mean, if it's time to pull the trigger, I think the parents sort of aren't in the best position to make the call. So what I would like to do, I mean, speaking as a formerly estranged adult child is they just invite other estranged adult children to maybe just take a moment to consider like if you've got anything to lose by by reaching out by checking in i mean one of the things that a a good friend of mine had told me not that long ago was that um instead of putting a lot of pressure on on this other person to like develop a family relationship why not suggest a conversation Mm, I love that. Well, you should. You're the one who said it. <laughs> but yes, it's, 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 it's as simple as that, right? And I, I think it's it's really powerful because I mean, if I mm. if I think back, if I'm going to jump back to where I was pre reconciliation, there was so much pressure I built up in my head, and what would happen if I bumped into my mom in the grocery store? Right? It's like, okay, now we're going to open up this whole thing, but. Yeah. the only realistic pressure that was on me would have been to like just be civil and say hello or yeah. smile and nod as I continue walking you know like it doesn't have to be a big thing and we you know I think all of us we spend so much time having things roll around in our heads wondering you know playing the what if game Yes. And you're going to like quote Dr. Phil again I mean the thing is if you're going to play the what if game you got to follow it all the way through okay well what um. if I talk to her and it goes badly. It's like, well, if it goes badly, how are you going to react? Mm-hmm. You're not obligated to blow up. I mean, what if you talk to her and everything goes fine? Right. You know, consider all the what ifs. And if, you know, like, like with any situation, like all of us, we have to do these risk assessments. Like, okay, is the potential payoff worth the potential risk? If the answer is no, well, then obviously this isn't the right time. Right, right. But if all of the scary things are nondescript possibly imaginary things and all the benefits are like real real stuff like my kids keep asking about grandma they ask why why we can't see her and i can't come up with a single good reason why they're in danger of spending time with her you know what maybe your reasons for keeping the kids away aren't good reasons mm-hmm. maybe a lot of things i mean like i'm not going to presume to know anybody's details but you know your details be honest with them be honest with yourself Right. And then take appropriate actions based on that honest assessment. That's the, the homework challenge I'm going to give to the estranged adult children this week. That's fabulous. That is absolutely fabulous. Um, and you're right. This, we tend to build up, you know, the boogeyman becomes really scary in our heads when in reality, the reality of it is, a, is oftentimes not 
nearly what we have created, right, and imagined things to be. And it's because we're all wrapped up in what's going on upstairs in our head. Um, when it really can be something as simple as a conversation. A short conversation. It doesn't even have to be hours long conversation. It can be really short. Um, one of the things that I've been wanting to, to suggest to adult children too, I've had a number of adult kids who have sent the, this podcast to their parents in an email. So I've been listening to the Estranged Heart podcast. Highly recommend you listen. Or here, here's this episode on this podcast I just found. Take a listen and then we can talk. Those kinds of things I think could be could be helpful. Reach out. Also, feel free to reach out to me and or AC, right? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that, um, you know, if, if we can help facilitate and get conversations started, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, I, oftentimes, you don't necessarily have to go directly to the person, I guess is what I'm saying. A conversation can be started and had in many, many different ways. And if you feel like you're restricted to only reaching out to the other person, to your parent or, and or the child, maybe, maybe there can be a mediator that can help lessen some of the, the fears and the anxiety that's going on with actually making that outreach, right? Um, and see where it goes from there, you know, but it doesn't have to, I had a friend tell me one time too, long time ago, you can just have simple conversations with people. You don't have to dive headfirst off the deep end of the, you know, in the diving pool and dive all the way down into these deep conversations. And I thought she was crazy. I was like, you're, stop it. You got to have deep conversations or you can't have anything. And then I have learned since then that generally conversations have to start with, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, instead of and, and, and let, let's not minimize the beauty of the superficial too. I mean, there right. are times where just a converse, a well-timed conversation about the weather could literally be life-saving, you know? Yes. Agreed. 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 Thank you. Thank you for that. I, um, I think that this is a great place for us to end today's mm -hmm. conversation. Any additional thoughts? You no, may I think may we covered all of it and then some. <laughs> we did as well, as always, as always. Okay. This brings this episode to a close. I hope that this time together was time you feel well spent and that you were able to find some takeaway nuggets to help you on your journey, wherever you may be on your estrangement and reconciliation path. If you feel you've received something helpful or positive from this podcast, please consider following us, sharing this podcast with others, leaving a positive review, perhaps entertaining becoming a guest on our show, or following us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok under the same name, The Estranged Heart. As a reminder, there is an online support group on Facebook. If you are a estranged mom 
who identifies as being spiritual and approaches estrangement with a sense of curiosity rather than blame and judgment and desire to do inner self-work and reflection, please seek us out. We can be found at facebook.com backslash estranged mothers support group. And lastly, if you are an estranged parent or an estranged adult child and would like to have your story shared on the podcast anonymously or not, please reach out to me via email at theestrangedheart at gmail.com.